a little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you can save at penfed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Good day to everybody and welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Jodderand. Joining me as always, Jake Wachoba and Armand Kafai. On this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, we go agenda-free for the first segment, give you our hottest takes. Former pro and now MLS analyst Bobby Warshaw calls in to chat MLS in review. Plus, we take a look ahead to the 2019 calendar year with the U.S. Men's National Team. And lastly, it's the counterattack with Jake Watroba. Follow us on Twitter, Sam Soccer Pod. You can find the show on any major podcast platform. Give us the five star review because you know you love to. And let's get to today's show. And uh, listeners, we're going to actually start with an announcement. It is our final episode of the year. We're gonna we're gonna enjoy our holidays. Jake, Amon, and myself. So we'll take a couple of weeks off. We'll be back in the new year with some fresh content, awesome interviews, and the best takes. Fellas, it is agenda-free for the first segment. Jake, let's begin with your big big take. My big take? Okay, I got a great take here for you, Steven. Uh-oh, uh-oh. You, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good this Sunday afternoon. For the Arsenal fans out there, Tottenham will finish above them in, in, in the standings. I'm just kidding. I just wanted to get a reaction to Steven. I didn't that's get anything that's your big take. This is no. this is your build. Arsenal is going to finish below Tottenham. You have wasted a minute of the show talking about how Tottenham will finish above Arsenal. Shame on you, Jake. Uh, the U.S. men's national team will win the Gold Cup in 2019. There. There's my hot take. Wow, my prediction. Take. My aching heart. That take is so hot. <laughs> wow. And y'all make fun of my takes? They just won the Gold Cup. Yeah, but they're terrible, according to you two. I mean, we're, it's we're, in CONCACAF. They're the worst team in CONCACAF, according to you two. Oh, hey, he's putting words there. Now you, oh, okay, okay. Let's uh, go back three episodes when you talk about how embarrassing the the team is. Well, they are embarrassing, but, right, the, but doesn't mean that they're... They're worse than, I don't know, Guatemala or something like that. 
Hey, all I know is you guys said this team is dog bleep. Uh, they're not going to amount to anything. We probably shouldn't even bother trying to qualify for 2022. <laughs> Greg Berhalter's a terrible manager. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're putting hot takes in our Carlos mouth. Cordero is the worst president uh, <laughs> in the United States. And that goes for uh, also uh, in Washington, D.C. So... I don't know, you guys. I this might be. I thought this would be a hot take for you two. How is that a hot uh, take? I don't know. They're one Figure of the out. favorites. Figure it out. Jake, I'm not saying. Sh- I'm just saying. Shame on you. That was terrible. I mean, you 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 build the lead with Tottenham finishing above Arsenal. That fell flat, and then you decide to take a another shot at it, and you fall even flatter with it. Well, the. The Tottenham Arsenal take was literally something I thought of about 30 seconds before before we turned the mic on. I had been sitting on the Gold Cup one for about an uh, hour and a half. Uh, squatting so. on take, my favorite, my favorite uh, hobby. <laughs> okay, okay you, guys, but Jake. you guys, all right, you guys, I guess the, uh, the hot take police. <laughs> yes, hot take police. Jake, you're arrested. Now, Armand, do you have a better take than Jake? Well, I mean, with Jake's hot takes, I'm kind of... You know, like struggling to find one that would, you know, be as hot as Jake's. We but know you are. I, I am because every take I have is lukewarm, cold, or like insert like, you know, something Antarctic. that's really chilly. Absolute yeah, pulled, zero. Pulled straight out of the freezer. Just pulled straight out of the freezer. So, hot take, hot take right here. <laughs> this delivery is great, Armand. Just, just, just wait on it. Liga MX is messing up really badly with this English coverage in America. I don't know if that's really a hot take or if that's pretty much common sense. Um, but I came in with the facts. Uh, I have the, the receipts right here. They averaged, I think, a combined $3.5 million for their semifinal matchups um, uh, for, the, for the playoffs. And they're, play, they're playing their final or they will be playing their final uh, on Sunday, which is today we're recording, and it might be one of the highest viewed soccer matches in America. Okay, that's a hot take. So, so yeah, that, I'll, I'll throw in there, and I'm including Premier League games in there too. So, hot take: Why isn't MLS doing anything to get these guys to watch their games too? Are now, are you talking about the Hispanic population? Uh, yep. It's a great question. It's uh something that uh Jake and I have been uh going back and forth on this past week is over what demographic should MLS target heavily. And the Hispanic demographic is hugely invested in Liga Mekis, hugely invested in football, hugely invested in, in, you know, the Mexican national team when they play on US soil. Yeah, what, what, why, Armand, I mean, you're around the clubhouse. You're around the front offices. Why do you think there's such a disconnect? I guess I, I want to say that, the, not the MLS, but MLS wants to, I guess, model itself model itself more after an NF, NFL uh, franchise than, I guess, any other, like, any other soccer team in the world. I mean, that's the feeling I get, you know, with, you know, with the new playoff structure as well. I mean, even though I like it, it just feels very, you know, like, like football, going up on these uh, on on population because we're so invested in Liga MX, we're not going to try and have them watch our game. 
why not, you know, just target something else? I don't know. The, the, the philosophy behind it is really weird, especially, you know, in a place, again, I keep referencing at Dallas, where you have a very high, you know, soccer-loving Latino com- uh, group. I mean, I think Dallas is one of the top markets that watched the Liga MX final, and I think Chelsea, Man City, uh, something is... Yeah, something's very, very off there from yeah. MLS's Let, standpoint. Like, there's like a Latino, like war, almost a war. Or like, if you remember Chicago's uh, predominantly Latino supporters group got kicked out, and no one really knows why. It's I, I, don't, I don't get it. It's a weird disconnect when people are watching Liga MX games left and right, and they're the highest viewed games, even more than the Champions League and the Premier League. What what's going on here? Like why? Why aren't you know? Why isn't MLS like? Oh, look! I guess that's why they're partnering with Liga MX. But I think something is wrong there. That's my deep hot take. So uh, we go from USA's winning the Gold Cup to MLS sucks at targeting Hispanic demographics. I mean, quite frankly, those those takes are not that that viable or that strong. And Armand, you threw a knuckleball because you actually were talking about FC Cincinnati before we started recording. What? what What's going on here? Uh, Jake says they're going to do better than FC Dallas. And, you know, he might be right because FC Dallas uh, is looking to blow it up, looking to hire Luchi Gonzalez uh, real soon. Um, FC well, Cincinnati will be in, a, will be in the uh, playoff conversation. In the well, yeah, because they, they made it bigger. Because they made the playoffs bigger. They'll be like a nine seed. And, you know. Oh, no, no, I'm not saying, like, they're going to be a nine, nine seed or ten seed or whatever. They're going to they're gonna be around six, seven, and eight. So nine. I said around six, seven, or eight. I didn't say nine. I said six, their, seven, or eight. Their, their team, their team structure is reminding me a lot of Orlando City's this year. A bunch of you know, okay, like pretty like good MLS players, but I'm not gonna get any like true DP. Yeah, but you don't know if FC Cincinnati has a bunch of executives with their head up their asses like Orlando City does. Well, and a bunch like, and a head, couple head coaches that don't know what, the, what they're doing. Well, I mean, there, isn't their model kind of like? Maybe almost like Minnesota as well. If I don't know, man, because every the last few uh, teams that have signed USL players that, that uh, went up from USL to MLS, the USL players ended up being some of the more productive players in those teams. Well, so, I'm not sure the, the, the USL, but I'm talking more the expansion draft and other other pieces as well. The USL st- a strong team. I don't think is a bad thing, but again, does it not ring? You know, uh, I guess. What's it called? Like reminders, you know, Soft Minnesota launch. came in with uh, Adrian Heath. A- Adrian Heath as a head coach, a kind of not really proven MLS guy who was proven in USL coming in here and he struggled. I mean, you have Alan Koch. Did, did okay, Portland not just get to the okay, MLS whoa, whoa, whoa. Cup? Yeah. What about Gio Savarisi? What are we what what are we talking about here? I, I think I think Savarisi and Mark Dos Santos are on a different level than Alan Koch. But they were you. They were they were they were in NASL or USL or whatever SL. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 Armand. Just to be clear, you think FC Cincinnati is going to be trash next next year? I or think they'll be bad, year? like bad. They're not going to be. They're going to be nap football. Even though they're going to have a great atmosphere at, at Nippert Stadium, even though uh, they they have Audi and you know the player we were talking about last weekend, but what if they sign Fabian Johnson? What if they sign Fabian Johnson? Then it might change something, but it looks like really what Fabian saying Johnson. Is, hey, look, that's going to change. DP. That's going to change FC Cincinnati a little bit. It's gonna it's gonna change a little bit. I'm gonna say okay because it shows. Hey, we'll spend a little bit of money to go after a key player, but 
Like, yeah, but you plays on the flank. If if your big if money is spent, they're going after. This is terrible. If they're gonna spend money on somebody who plays on the flank or as a right back, what good is that going to do? You signed Fabian Johnson, well, so you Greg sell Garza. seats. They did Greg Garza. Yeah, like, I don't they, know. They bought him as left back. They, they spent some exuberant amount of money on Kendall Watson and Greg Garza. Like, all right, cool. Now you have the two tallest center backs in MLS and the two slowest ones, too. Like, <laughs> Garza's, not, Garza's a left back. I'm talking about Forrest Lasso and Kendall Watson. Like, come on. Like, But overall, I don't think this team is going to be that good, <laughs> to be honest with you. I just – I mean, you guys might be more optimistic, but, I mean, after watching that expansion draft, after them seeing them take Roland Lamar out of all people – after, you know, seeing them take Darren Maddox and all these other guys, like just it just reeks of meh. It reeks of soft launch FC, like you said, Steven. Yeah, soft launch FC and an expansion draft that's absolutely meaningless. And uh, they picked up a bunch of, of posts. Draft. Say again? Get rid of the expansion <laughs> draft. Yeah, get rid of it. Okay, uh, moving on to my hot take. Christian Pulisic is overrated and is not worth the money that Chelsea, Liverpool, even Atletico Madrid want to pay him for. That's not. That's a hipster hot take right there. All right, trying to be like a hipster or something. Oh, look at me! I hate America's best player. <laughs> let me let me ask look you. Me. Let, let's put this in perspective. One report I saw was about sixty million pounds. Sixty million. Okay. Let me ask you guys. Looking at other past transfers, James Rodriguez went from Monaco to Real Madrid for sixty-three million pounds. Is Christian Pulisic Hamas Rodriguez in value? Yes or no? Forget that price, bro. Inflation. Oh, transfer yeah, yeah. Inflated, you can't, dude. You can't, you can't, can't be pulling out. transfer fees from five years ago? Four, four years, years ago. ago. This is not 1998. This is yeah, but you four have, years ago. Neymar. Neymar's transfer has completely thrown things off. The influx of money in the Premier League has completely thrown things off. They're, they're, you can pay an exuberant fee for Pulisic because you're not just getting Pulisic the player as well. You're getting everything along that comes with it. You're getting more American eyeballs. You have more opportunity to sell mm-hmm. merchandise. Mm-hmm. This isn't just a playing thing. This is just th- – there's more to it than okay, fine. Christian Pulisic fine. on the field. Armand, fine. If you don't want to c- compare pricing, fine. I'm just saying Chelsea and Liverpool have to make certain that if they're going to shell out that type of money, Christian Pulisic is the guy. Do you know what his his stats are for this past season, Armand? Jordan Jordan Sancho has been uh, play, out playing games. To... Well, yeah, he's his, been he's been he's starting. Yeah, well, Christian Pulisic has been in the squad eleven times. He's missed. Four games due to injuries. He started only four games in the Bundesliga. He subbed on six times. He was left on the bench once. He scored one goal, has one assist. In the Champions League, interestingly, he started four times. He was in the squad five times. So four of the five times he started. He was subbed on once, and he was injured for the other game. So it's not like, you know, Lucien Favre doesn't, doesn't trust the guy. He plays in the Champions League more so than he does in the Bundesliga. But if I'm Chelsea and if I'm Liverpool, I'd be a little bit concerned that he's not getting more playing time in a squad like Dortmund, which is highly talented. Would you not say squads at Liverpool and Chelsea are more talented than at Dortmund? I mean, Dortmund's in first place in the Bundesliga. I mean, I guess Liverpool is in the first place in the Premier League, but I think it's debatable. 
I think you can make an argument that Dortmund's more talented than both of those two. Okay. I wasn't expecting <laughs> I wasn't you ex- did not expect that at all. <laughs> I was expecting somebody to agree with me. Steven tried to hit with a leading question. It didn't work. I mean, coming from the guy who sat here like every week and reminding me that Bayern Munich is in sixth place or fourth place or whatever place they're in in the Bundesliga table, and <clears throat> says that oh, this is gonna be the year they're not gonna you know they're not gonna win the, the Bundesliga. They're not. Bayern, Bundesliga is, is not going to Bayern this year. That so now now he's basically saying that. The team that is better than Bayern Munich isn't isn't nearly on the same level as Chelsea, who's in fourth place in the Premier League. No, that that's such crap because the Premier League. <laughs> no, it's not crap. You, <laughs> you just said that. No, the the squad talent at Chelsea is significantly better than Dortmund, and the and the competition that Chelsea is playing is harder than Dortmund is playing in the Bundesliga. Yeah, Brighton Hove Albion. That's uh, that was really a tough game for Chelsea this morning. <laughs> I, I I guarantee you, I, I could already see, I could already see the Twitter machine. How can you say that Dortmund yeah, is less than same, Chelsea? These are gonna be the same idiots that told me that uh, Asian Confederation was light years ahead of Concacaf. So. <laughs> I mean, look, Dortmund have a really talented squad. I think it's apples and oranges to compare uh, Liverpool and Chelsea to Dortmund because they play in, they play in we such separate leagues. It. Like, if you, no, you can't. No, 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 no. You, let me finish it. Let me finish it. You cannot compare their track record in their respective leagues. Well, you can't compare them when they play in the Champions League, but you can also just look up a, a straight roster. I think Liverpool significantly a lot higher than Dortmund is. I think Chelsea is closer to Dortmund, but I still give the the advantage to uh, Chelsea as far as squad talent. So what happens when Dortmund draws Liverpool in their round of 16 in the Champions League and Dortmund wins? Then what? I'm wrong. Okay. See? See, I well, could I could have a hot take and I could I'll apologize. I'll write you an apology letter. Okay. We'll, okay. We'll, 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 be, we'll be waiting. Yeah. Right here. All right, you 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 could definitely be waiting. All I'm saying is, Chelsea have a, a talented squad that is on par or even better than Dortmund. Liverpool is significantly better than Dortmund. And if I'm Chelsea or Liverpool, and I'm going to splurge out sixty million plus for Christian Pulisic, America's goat, I want to be certain that he is going to be a squad player that delivers day in and day out. And at the moment, I don't know if Christian Pulisic is that type of player. You're just salty because Christian Pulisic has a has a higher price tag than uh, Jardin Shakiri. <laughs> okay. On that note, Bobby War shows up next. Joining us on the show is a friend of the show now. It's Bobby Warshaw. You can find his work on MLSsoccer.com. You can follow him at Twitter at BWarshaw14. Bobby, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. I'm honored to be a friend of the show. Thank you for that. Oh, we, yeah, we, love, yeah, we love our friends. He's a friend of the pod. Yeah, exactly. We love our friends. <laughs> we, we back him up no matter what. 
Even if their takes are bad. <laughs> Ooh, all right. Well, I guess that's I guess that's good news then. Hey, Ar- Armand, since you're playing hot take police, how about you ask the first question? Oh, okay. I was oh, putting the pressure on me now. Bobby, uh, do you think MLS is? It's a really vague question, but do you think MLS is happy with how 2018 panned out? You know, from the beginning to the end, especially with uh, Atlanta, I guess, raising the crown. Oh, start real big on this. So here's my here's my first answer to that is I think there's a general thought that from outside of MLS that us who work and write and do some of the content stuff, you know, have interactions with Don and, and Mark and Todd and these guys that make the decisions. So we are somehow their sounding board and we have none of that. You know, like I talked to Mark, you know, if we have a, a question that we want clarification, we can we we have to go through uh, intermediaries for that stuff. So the the, the official the real answer is that I have no idea. Right. Like, I don't I don't actually know what Don and Mark and Todd talk about on a regular basis. But going off the same information that you guys have, you have to think absolutely. Yes. You know, it's like it's no secret that it's probably great to have that MLS Cup in Atlanta, to have Atlanta be successful, to have Portland make it far and Seattle make it far and and a New York team make it far. Um, So, listen, I really have no idea on all the inside information, but going off the same thing you guys do and plus Laton and Rooney. So, yeah, I would think it was a very good season um, for the, the suits in the league office. I think it was a wonderful season. I think Atlanta winning it was kind of like the cherry on top of the Sunday that, you know, you had this team expected to win. And I think it's the first time where, in a long time where you have back-to-back seasons where the best team of the regular season. I know Atlanta didn't win the Supporter Shield, but, I mean, they were so superb throughout majority of the season. They mm-hmm. won, go on to win MLS Cup. And with the new playoff playoff format change speculated out there on the Twitter sphere, home field advantage is going to be increasingly more important. The regular season is going to be increasingly more important, and I think the games are going to be a lot more fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, that, it, it probably could have been a better season if the playoff races had been better. You know, the fact that the playoff race was a little bit of a dud, there wasn't a ton of drama going down to the end, uh, and it probably would have been better if the Galaxy had made it and Zlatan had made it. You know, that's a, a joke that everyone makes, but I would say that joke is largely true, that Moore's Laton is bet makes more money for everyone. Um, but yeah, I'm, I am interested to see how the playoff format changes things. We need more to be online in July. So uh, it would be nice if the playoff format could do that. Bobby, I remember the last time you were on the show, uh, we discussed uh, how I wasn't really sure that Atlanta would be a favorite going into the playoffs because of their inability to play against bunker ball. Well, I'm 100% wrong, and you see my friends over here will protect me from my bad takes. But um, <laughs> uh, what do you think changed uh, for Atlanta that, you know, they were able to beat teams that, you know, bunkered down? All right, well, here's, here's my question. When the Red Bulls lost leg one against Atlanta, what was your criticism and, and everyone else's criticism about what they did? Uh, that instead of uh, I, they bunker down instead of pressing and uh, doing what they usually do, I guess. So I wouldn't say they bunkered. This is like this is like Doyle's favorite word right now, and it's gotten a lexicon. The Red Bulls <laughs> did not bunker. They drew their line of confrontation at the other side of. They 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 had a middle to low block, right? If you do a middle middle block mm-hmm. and you do it properly, you're naturally going to have your lines drop deeper. I mean, bunkering is what Inter Milan did against Barcelona. Like, teams do bunker. It doesn't happen as often as people say. But what I want to point out there is that 
the Red Bulls went against their, their, you know, supposedly went against their style. You know, they're a high-pressing team that said, we're actually going to sit in the middle block. Well, what did Atlanta do throughout the playoffs, right? Atlanta, who had gotten so much credit for being a passing team and trying to build out of the back and keep on the ball on the ground, well, they said, screw it. If you're going to press us, and everyone talks about how the Red Bulls should have pressed them, but when the Red Bulls got any kind of pressure on the ball, Atlanta kicked it 70 yards at Connor Lade or behind Aaron Long. So what changed a little bit was the fact that Atlanta went away from what they had been doing. You know, they, they were no longer this pretty flowing team. They were a team that took no risk, kept four behind the ball, and, and you know, just changed their style. You know, I don't think any of us expected them to change their style and do what they did. So making our predictions of can they score against a team that sits deep, you know, if you, if you kick it – I don't have a great answer to this, but um, – the answer is that they changed who they were. And I don't think any of us saw that coming. Wait, Bobby, I, I, I got to ask you for clarification. So you don't think the Red Bulls had yeah. the wrong mindset going into Atlanta? Because to me, their mindset was, we're going to try playing for a 0-0 draw and taking it back to New York. And I think that was the mistake, is that the way their mindset played, and it you know it, it felt like Atlanta was in control of that entire game. And I know Red Bulls had their chances. They had the goal you know, pull, get called back and, and all that. But you're, to me, you're saying what everyone else is not saying is that actually the Red Bulls played their cards. Atlanta just came on, came out on top. Yeah, I'm perfectly fine with what Chris Armas did. And I can tell you from the bottom of my heart that if they had pressed and lost that game, he would have been called naive and stupid for not changing the tactics. And if you think about maybe he's going for zero zero, but I actually do think if you do the game tree, if you look at the logic of how that game was going to play out, they had a better chance of scoring by also being in that middle to low block. Because basically, if they had pressed, what did they do in the second game? They pressed, right? And could they, if they had pressed, Atlanta was going to kick it over their head. When Atlanta kicked it over their head, they were always going to keep six, seven, eight players behind the ball. So every time Red Bulls were going to bring it forward, even if they did press, even if they did win the ball in their own end a little better, they were still going to have to break down Atlanta's full shape, which Red Bulls just can't do. So, yeah, they thought it would help them defensively to not be in the 1v1 duels after Atlanta played long over the press. But they also thought that they would have a better chance of scoring if they could win the ball deep after Atlanta got stretched trying to go forward and countered. I mean, the problem is that they aren't a great actual full field countering team and Atlanta still kept numbers behind the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the full logic of it is that Red Bulls thought they had a better chance of scoring. And partially is what we saw in leg two, right? They were not going to break down Atlanta in leg two and they would have the same problem in leg one. Bobby, I want to ask you about uh, Alexi Lawless's take on Atlanta United being MLS's new super club. Uh, do you, do you agree mm-hmm. with that? Seeing as, you know, they've, they bring in guys like Miguel Almiron, Joseph Martinez. They draw in Tata Martino to to be the manager. Now they're going to bring in Pity Martinez. Are they the new super club in MLS? So I saw that from I would actually disagree. I, when I first heard it, I was like, yeah, of course they're the super club. Look at the fans. Look at how much money they're spending. But I do think that there's a prerogative of the super club to go for the names and to go for the personalities. And that to me is still the galaxy. And we give the galaxy a ton of crap for not playing their academy players and for being worse and for missing on Gio Dos Santos. But one of the problems is if you are the super club and remember Real Madrid went through this with the Galacticos, but that Galacticos team was not great. Even when they had Zidane and Ronaldo and Figo and, and all these players and Beckham, um, because it's hard to put all those stars together. So, 
I think Atlanta is, is one of the bigger clubs, but they're signing younger players, lesser known. Um, PT Martinez is a little more known than the players they signed, but no, I still think it's a galaxy. I still think it's this team that has the imperative who, you know, who's the biggest name that's free. Who's the biggest name that we can go get. That's still the galaxy. And I still think that they're the super club. I know with Tata Martino leaving now as an opening for Atlanta, uh, do you, do you have anyone that you would like to see as a uh, head coach of Atlanta uh, for the 2019 season? So uh, my, my only thought on this is I don't have a specific name because my big thing about picking a name for a head coach is did anyone think that Jason Christ was, a, was the wrong choice for Orlando? You know, it's just so hard to know how a coach fits with an ownership, with a technical director, with players. So I, I definitely am not about to say a name that I think is right. What I will say is that I don't think that Atlanta have been a tactically, have been a tactical quote unquote master class mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole idea that, that Guillermo Barros-Scoloto isn't necessarily tactically up for it. If you had watched his Boca teams, I think is, I think is off just because Tata, Tata did what he did very well. And yes, they had an identity, they had a style, but it wasn't necessarily tactically nuanced. You know, he wasn't laying out perfectly laid details right. for what they were to do at all times. He kind of picked this, found this general style and had incredible players who could play to that. So to me, that job is much more about managing the personalities, managing the city, having the, having the, the, the style within your own personality and being cool. Because we forget, Tata was just freaking cool. You know, he made people want to idolize him from within the city. That He made people want to cheer for him. And those, mm-hmm. to me, are more important than your actual qualities you know, technically coaching on the field. So that's what I would keep in mind. It's not so much about finding the ideal, the ideal soccer coach as finding the right man to take on that, that leadership role. Now, Bobby, this past week, Jake and I got in a, in, into a massive rabbit hole. We had this huge argument over the demographic <laughs> MLS should target. There was a, a story out in the Atlantic uh, Atlanta Con- uh, Journal Constitution, or whatever the proper way of mm-hmm. putting it together is, saying that there's been a dip in youth uh, soccer, but sp- as a spectator yep. sport, it- it's very high. Mm-hmm. What what target audience should MLS go after? Is it the his? I mean, I know everybody. Okay. Sh- the easy answer is to say everything, but there seems to be a disconnect with kids playing soccer. And, you know, not wanting to play it professionally. And then, you know, when you go to some stadiums like Dallas, Colorado, Chicago, they're empty. Right. So I think we're talking about two different things. First, I want to talk about that article in the AGC, uh, ACJ or AJC, who I, I'm a big fan of what they do. And Doug Robertson is, is a great beat writer for Atlanta United. But that article talked about how the pricing was the main reason that players, that youth participation is down. And pricing matters. But the biggest reason is that there's just more to do. And it was weird that it didn't acknowledge that. And the biggest reason that lacrosse numbers have skyrocketed and esports numbers have skyrocketed. You know, it's a little bit like everyone looks at, looks at website numbers and TV ratings and the fact mm-hmm. that they've gone down. Like, they go down because there's a billion things to do in the world now. So the fact that that article didn't, didn't acknowledge that what I thought was weird. Uh, on to your second question. And I, I'm going to ask for clarification. Are you asking who should we market to? Who should MLS market to as fans? Or who should MLS market to as the next generation of MLS players? Well, I think those are two very different questions, but please answer them both because right. I think the, the answers are, are different. But, like, my big example is growing up in Dallas, obviously you playing for FC Dallas, mm-hmm. I have spoken to market 
deters around the area and saying, look, Dallas was chosen in the location because at the time when MLS set up, well, you had this affluent area growing. Well, let's take families come to watch the game. And then there was a cultural shift with soccer that you see in places like with LAFC, Seattle, Atlanta, where it's downtown, where it's a lot more of that European style, where it's the young people, it's more of a liberal, it's more, you know, a free flowing expression. And there's this weird, you know, shift. And I don't know, like in places like Dallas, who are you marketing to is a lot different than in places in Atlanta. Right. So this is something we talk about a lot just amongst ourselves. And my thought on this is that your first priority in pretty much anything you do, and this is the Steve Jobs line of thinking, is just make it cool. Just, just build a good product. And one of the big parts of building a good product in sports and specifically in soccer is making the atmosphere fun. And then once you make that atmosphere fun, then everything trickles off that. So I know Dallas, for example, and I was, I was there through this, do you market to the families? Do you market towards the soccer moms? Do you market toward, toward, toward the suburbanites? But the way you make it cool is you market towards, you know, the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings and the people who are going to drink and make a full experience out of it. Because what happens is, especially because of this actually pretty nice soccer culture we built in our country, which isn't about violence, which isn't about, um, you know, inappropriate words, is that you can make it cool and still have families come. And if you do make it cool, families are more likely to come. So it, it felt like a while exclusive to say, you know, we can either target towards the rowdy 20-somethings or the families. But if you go to Atlanta, if you go to LAFC, it shows that that's not true. And I do believe that MLS experience is a tipping point, right? If once you get over that tipping point of, of crowd size and noise and general enjoyment, then it just keeps rolling downhill. You know, like, you know it may be in the first – in the first two weeks, if only 10,000 people had shown up to Atlanta or LAFC, then maybe it wouldn't have hit that tipping point. But once you do, it keeps rolling. And it seems to me that the way you get that tipping point is you market towards uh, the rowdy 20-somethings and 30-somethings, um, uh, specifically the demographics and, and the, the race or the ethnicity or the language. I don't have an answer to. I do think, and I don't think there's something everyone agrees with, we do have to find a better way to, to reach um, Spanish speakers. You know, if we can, you look at the Liga MX TV numbers, everything they put out, they're huge. And how can MLS do a better job of appealing to them so they can go to games and enjoy teams in their own city? How would you guys respond to that? So uh, I guess I'll jump in here, Bobby, because you, you, your answer kind of uh, aligns with what Steven was saying uh, earlier, earlier this week when we were talking about how MLS should go about this. I'm of the opinion that the league should be more marketing more towards teenagers actually and now i get that teenagers aren't obviously going to go spend their money and buy tickets to uh uh to mls games but i think what the league should be focused on is taking these teenagers making the game popular make it cool in their eyes mm -hmm. and so 10 years from now when they are 24 25 26 whatever years old they're going mm -hmm. to games more often and not only are you doing that uh but you're also developing viewerships too and, and what is this league kind of lack right now is eyeballs. Eyeballs, specifically. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. TV eyeballs. So, 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 in my eyes, I, I guess I, I would look at it and say, market towards the teenagers, make it cool, make it hip, do whatever you got to do. If it's, you know, market some of these players, make it more like the the NBA, where it's it's more so about the superstar than the team, and, and go about it in that that direction. Right. 
Absolutely. So there's different parts of this. And this is why these things are so complicated for decision makers. And I know that if you look at social media, everyone makes it seem like it's really easy. But you're exactly right. You need to build that next generation. But you still have to remember that teenagers don't spend money and they can't get to games. And they actually don't make as rowdy of an experience when you watch the games. So I totally agree with you for social media and for all those reasons. But you still have to do the immediate term. You still have to fill stadiums because we talk about eyeballs. The number one thing that actually matters even more than than quality on the field is the, the stadium experience you're watching. So I'm totally with you that we need to hit teenagers and build the social media, build the buzz and the viral sensation that they can offer. And not to mention just future ticket sales, but you still have to fill stadiums now, which to me is about the 20 somethings. Bobby, I just want to say, I agree with you hundred percent with the uh, Liga MX uh, appointment. I think it was something we talked about actually uh, in the first segment of our show. I think it's almost, I saw the numbers for the uh, the semifinal between I think it was uh, America and Pumas, and I think it was like 1.8 million or something like that. Yep. And yep. it's that that was higher than any Premier League match that day. Uh, Liga MX pulls so many. And I think MLS, you know, should you know try mm-hmm. to attract those eyeballs to them. I mean, it's gonna be a little difficult because I mean the Liga MX product is a bit better than the MLS product and has so much history behind it as well, but. I think it's something that we've been that we've it's been lacking, you know, that connecting with the Spanish speaker. Uh, I think it's something they really need to hit hard on, especially you know with Liga MX yeah. kind of taking their foot off the gas in America. Yep. Well, the two thoughts on that is one: is it a better TV product? I mean, it's a slower game. They, they might be beat MLS teams, and they are better, probably better players and teams. But as a product on television, with the pace that Liga MX has played at, and just the energy level and the intensity. I, I don't know. That's something I think we don't think about often is there's a difference between the quality on the field and the quality of the teams in the league and actually what is a good TV product. Um, and yeah, two, yeah. And it's, also, it's also important to acknowledge, too, that this isn't just a, a soccer problem, right? And in every, in every part of our society, especially now more than ever, Jesus, it's, it's, we're trying to figure out how to integrate our society and not to leave people on the outskirts. So, you know, we care about it because it's in our soccer world. But I think sometimes in our own bubble, we're like, God, American soccer sucks at this. U.S. soccer sucks at this. When in reality, almost every part of our society is asking every business and every organization is asking the same question. And how can we become more inclusive? No, it's not every part of our society, obviously, but, you know, the good guys. (laughs) No, I think you you raise a very important point there. And I think, you know, just put in perspective. Put it in in perspective. Fox had a 1.56 million viewers, and you know that was the most watched MLS Cup since 1997, and it peaked around two million people. And it's you know soccer is slowly growing, but do you still think the European? Do you still think the European leagues? You know why do they still hold such a stronghold over MLS? Besides the you know the quality gap, a lot of us have absolutely no connection with these clubs. So we do have a little bit. We do have a little bit of a connection, right? So my, for example, uh, a lot of people just grew up, especially if you weren't in those first ten teams. I mean, I'm a Phillies fan emotionally because I grew up with them when I watched them when I was three, four, five years old, and there were still people who were watching Europe before they were watching MLS. You know, there's still people who have those stronger, especially if your team was winning. You know, you're an Arsenal fan through the early 2000s before your City and MLS team. There actually are strong reasons to have these emotional ties to them. Um, and the second part I do think is that MLS prides itself on parity 
and there's a lot of research to show that Americans like parody. But when, to me, when you look at the way t- people watch TV, if you are going to watch soccer on the weekends, you are going, especially if you're an MLS fan, you know, anyone, you're going to watch your own team, and then you're going to watch the best team. And Europe makes that very easy and very clear. I mean, nobody from around the world is watching Swansea versus Stoke, right? Nobody's watching West Ham, probably even versus Tottenham. You know, they're watching the big four, the big five, and it makes it very easy. And then you think to yourself, that's the league. But like, you're actually not watching the Premier League. You're actually watching those four or five teams. So, and this is my own personal decision. Not many people agree with me, but MLS needs to do that too. I mean, it's not, you don't actually care about parity. You watch your own team and you're going to watch them no matter what. And then that second game for TV ratings is you actually don't want to watch the fourth and the fifth best teams in the West. You want to watch Atlanta, LAFC. You want to watch those top three or four against anybody else. So I do think that's the other thing we're struggling with is people enjoy watching greatness and we need to at least build that, that concept of greatness within MLS, which goes against the idea of parity. So, Bobby, um, at the beginning of this segment, uh, at the beginning of the segment, at the beginning of the show, we kind of went agenda-free. We went around, had some hot takes. I just want you to get your opinions. Jake's uh-huh. hot take is the U.S. is going to win the Gold Cup in 2019. Do you agree, yes or no, quickly? I mean, we have a 50% chance, right? So <laughs> I don't agree but i think it's like literally a, a coin toss up on who whether we win in the final or not so i do think we are going to re- return like our progress to the mean of who we are but yeah i have no idea Cut. coin flip okay and then uh my big my big take is actually i kind of had two uh if liverpool or chelsea go after christian pulisic is he worth the money and i think the answer at the moment is still a little bit more no just and, and the second point is chelsea's and liverpool's talent still trump Dortmund so I don't know how Pulisic is going to a enter Liverpool's squad and then you know with Chelsea everybody says the players especially young players go there to die see this is a conversation where we we're, we're talking about a knife fight and it's actually like a machine gun fight right like they're not signing Christian Pulisic just to play him on the field they care about marketing rights they care about uh, the Adidas bonus for their jersey sales. They care about TV rights. They care about their summer tour. So to is a better value just to make up a player in his name. But really, they they don't care about soccer. Or, you know, only a small percentage of that is soccer, if that makes sense. Um, and the second part is, yeah, it will probably go and sit on the bench, which is depressing. But and then. Uh, Oh yeah, no. And then Armand's take. Honestly, I forgot because it was just poor to begin with. It was just no, the FC Cincinnati. It was, it was the FC Cincinnati. <laughs> FC Cincinnati one. I thought their expansion drafts. I mean, I love the pick of Hassan Nadam. I think that was one of my more favorite picks because it's just a long-term project. But I think overall, I mean, I've seen Roland Lamar play week in and week out, and while he'll score in bunches, he kind of disappears in a lot of matches and. At, at the current salaries, I mean, obviously they can renegotiate. The current salaries and the production level at the players they picked, I thought they could have done a tad bit better. Um, but, I mean, I also think they did really well in acquiring Victor Yoa and, um, you know, splashing a little bit of cash on a player like uh, uh, like, a, like a Greg Garza or Watson, even though it's a little too much in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and they might have the tallest center back combination, but maybe the slowest too with Forrest Lasso and... Uh, Kendall yeah. Watson. Um, I, I, the way their roster is like co- composing, I, it feels more of 
uh, Minnesota United esque than uh, I guess I, I I don't like comparing them. But I guess Atlanta um, in the way their roster is being composed. Yeah. Well, here's my one thought. Did if you had looked at Red Bull's roster last year, would you have thought that they were a playoff team? Or if you had looked at who's another one, Philadelphia, did you think they would have or Columbus? You know, I, I just hate when we talk about personnel because soccer's a coach's game and they're building the pieces, specifically defensively. Like the number one thing, it's you could put Aaron Long and Tim Parker on the San Jose Earthquakes and they make the playoffs. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, a fair, that's Hedges, a fair point. It's a fair point. You put Matt Hedges or Chad Marshall with anybody, and that team's probably going to make the playoff. So I think if you do have min- limited resources, there's a bunch of no- – like you make a bunch of decisions, but really only two or three of them matter, and the rest are either you know rolling the dice to hope you hit um, or just filling out your roster. And the, two things, the three things that matter to me are can you defend, do you have a, somebody that can create chances, and do you have somebody that can finish chances? And – you know, if you can do the first one, you're on your way to get making the playoffs. And they've got Watson, they've got Garza, who are both, you know, top five, top eight in their position, probably. So long story short, I'm perfectly okay with their doing because it at least gives them the realm that good coaching can get them in the playoffs, which is really what you're trying to do if you're not one of those top four or five clubs at this point. And, I mean, we see spending like the Galaxy have, but do you think, you know, not that much emphasis on – defenses, uh, you know, especially designated player-esque is kind of like a market inefficiency of sorts? Absolutely. Market inefficiency... Is that too strong a word? So, I think outside backs are still the market inefficiency. Mm -hmm. Center-backs, people are spending, right? They're just missing, and I'm not entirely sure why that is. Um, What I would say about defending is part of it's talent, but part of it is just also coaching and setting up and putting players in the position to succeed. I mean, the biggest thing I can look at this is just look at the movement of the center midfielders and the midfielders, right? If, if a player, if a center back can pick up his head and play a pass in between your lines, right? That to me is just a catastrophic failure of your coaching. And, and I say this and I try and give people the benefit of the doubt, but that to me is one, like if your lines aren't proper, if your distances aren't proper, when you're in a set shape, then I don't know what the hell you guys did for six weeks in preseason. It is catastrophic. Uh, and that just happens on a daily, weekly basis, right? The ball goes wide. Look at the outside back the first time, look at him the second time. Is he forcing in? Is he forcing out? It changes every stinking time. So I do think part of it is personnel and a lack of spending. But for what actually like, makes my heart sing or actually like, makes my heart angry at this past year is that the, the players are clearly unprepared with instruction from the coaches on how they're going to work as a cohesive unit. Uh, and that, that's the kind of thing that I think we should hold people accountable for. You know, I think like a lot of this personnel stuff is a toss-up, but if your team is just not prepared to work as a unit, like that is entirely under your control. And that's the kind of thing that makes me, you know, happy or angry. Bobby, thank you so much for your time today. I always love the conversation and the insight. Uh, please go ahead and tell our listeners where we can find you on Twitter and where we can find you on, you know, just talking about MLS. Uh, yeah, B Warshaw 14 on Twitter. I don't I don't tweet very often, but uh, and then one thing I would say is if you're looking for a book about soccer this this Christmas for yourself or someone else on Amazon, uh, when the dream became reality about what it's like is just kind of an average American professional soccer player trying to make it. Well, Bobby, thank you. We'll be sure to, uh, listeners, be sure to check out that book. And uh, friend of the show, we'll have you on at some point in the future. All right. Thank you so much, guys.
Thanks again to Bobby for joining us. Much longer interview than originally had planned. So we're going to cut this next segment quite short. Uh, the it's, future... it's okay. We love Bobby. We love Bobby. Yes. Yeah, fo- yeah, we love Bobby. He's a friend of the show. So Friend of the show. But uh, U.S. soccer going forward, fellas. 2019, you got the Gold Cup. Greg Berhalter will you know, be in charge of a couple of games. I mean, what are the expectations surrounding this team? Jake, you saying it's Gold Cup or bust, and they're going to win it. But Armand, I mean... It's just going to be a couple friendlies, kind of a meaningless tournament with a trophy at the end of it. And, yeah, we, we get into the fall, and then we start talking about the World Cup qualification. Look, I'm a, I'm a guy who doesn't believe in, you know, shooting like for anything short. You know, we should shoot for the top. I think the goal for our team should be to win the World Cup, plain and, and simple. I mean, look, you might say they don't have the personnel. They don't have this. They don't have that. I don't care. I believe that the U.S. has enough capable soccer players to compete with the top teams across Europe specifically and with Mexico. I mean, our U-20 team beat Mexico in a really intense game, and it was a, and they were killing it. A lot of our players are going to the Bundesliga to develop there instead of MLS. I think this team's goal within the next four years should be to win the World Cup. It shouldn't That's be to win the Gold a hot Cup. Take. Yeah, it shouldn't be to win the Gold Cup. It shouldn't be just to qualify. It should be to win and compete for a World Cup. Uh, th- this team has plenty of capable players to play. I'll, and Our players are developing as well. It's not like they're sitting on the bench. You have Sargent making appearances for Werder Bremen. Um, Pulisic has been playing as much for Dortmund, but he's developing as a player and getting more, more mature. And who knows? This next move could be big for him as a whole. We have McKenney playing week in, week out. We have players, I think, like Richie, well, not Richie Ledesma, but... Aladesma from the RSL Academy getting signed by Ajax. You have players just popping up out of nowhere. I think the team has plenty of capable players. It's just a qu- Tyler Adams to Leipzig. It's just a question of can we get piece them all together with, with a winning formula? And if Burhalter can be that guy, they should shoot for a World Cup. You can't be shooting. Oh, let's just qualify. That that's just too that's just too light for me. You just, you got to go for it all. And I think a nation like the United States should be able to compete for a World Cup. That was the hottest take Armand's ever had. That was an actual hot take. I almost jumped in and said, when you said the, the goal should be to win the World Cup in 2022, I almost jumped in and said, well, you got I think it should be to qualify first. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, I mean, but that's a given. That shouldn't be the goal. Well, yeah, goal but it wasn't a win. Okay, fine, hey, fine, hey, the hey, goal. It wasn't, it wasn't a given two years ago. No, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Paul, let, let's, yeah, take yeah, a moment, step back, Armand. The goal is to win the World Cup, just like it is for Belgium, Switzerland, Italy, Japan. But I don't feel Chile. like that's the goal of like people here at least don't feel like that's the goal. I think the goal for them is oh, let's go to the round of sixty and get knocked out. Who who are you talking like, to? Fans? I'm just saying fans, media. There's no no one. There's no long term goal of oh. I feel like every team, you know, especially in Europe, is maybe like hey, we're gonna go win the World Cup. When the USA is in the World Cup, I feel like fans. I'm not really sure about media, but I mean, I, I'll say it, media too, and I'll include myself into this. We, we, we go, all right, if we get to round 16, it's a success. No, a success should be getting to some, getting to the finals, not miss, not, you know, wait, wait, getting wait, knocked wait, out of the first wait, round. Wait. So if, if in 2014, if the U.S. beat Belgium and got that fifth game, you wouldn't have said, wow, what a successful run for the U.S. 
No, it should be a World Cup. It should be a World Cup winner. No, but... you talk like okay. Now, now you sound dumb. In the, in the world. No, it should be a World Cup winner or bust. It, dude, look, like I said, well, I don't. Well, I do not. There. I do not. Okay, why, why, so let's do a Bob. So why? Why do you guys disagree? Okay, wait, wait, wait. Listeners, listeners need to understand. We spoke to Bobby Warshaw after our interview, and he said that anytime somebody comes out with a bad take, that we need to think through it. Now, there's nothing wrong with having the goal of winning the World Cup. The question is whether or not it's realistic. And then it also happens, so happens to be the luck of the draw. I mean, if, if Switzerland, uh, Switzerland, if the United States get paired up against Brazil in the round of 16, what, what do you do then? You you try to put the best team possible to win the game. Well, no no dip, Sherlock. But if they don't win it, they're not winning the World Cup. I All mean, right, this, this, this is, it's a disappointment. Don't put yourself in that position. Come on, this is like saying like when VCU makes the NCAA tournament, they should win the NCAA tournament as like the 14th seed. Well, they, they well, why are we like why are we like limiting them as like okay? Because we're not a top we're not round. a top soccer country. You know what I mean? We're not the, well, one wh- of the ten why, best teams. In the why world. is it? Why why do you think the USA has players? Jake, you think this by the way? You think that they have capable players to compete against these guys? Yes I don't. No? Jake, <laughs> I think they potentially have players that can compete against the Brazils and the England. They should and be able to compete. They compete yeah, the but they're going to lose. The they're going to is, lose. The problem is when you have a holes like Dave Sarakan and Bruce Arena running the show, you're not going to compete against them. And here's the other thing too. I'm saying potentially Tyler Adams potentially could develop into a very good defensive midfielder. Christian Pulisic could potentially develop into a world-class winger. Josh Sargent could develop into a very good striker uh, in a few years. But if that doesn't happen, well, then you're still held in the same regard as uh, – you're still on the same level as the Costa Ricas of the world or the – I don't know, the Nigerias or whatever African team you want to throw out there. I mean, to come out and say that the U.S. is expected to win the World Cup every every four years is asinine, Armand. (laughs) That's not asinine. I think that they have the asinine. players capable you to win it. Tell me no, you have the, the players, they have the facility, they have everything God, to win. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did not qualify for 2018 should have should have beaten the French national team. They should be able to compete, and yes, they should. They, the, we have the players capable of no, doing no, no, it. No, 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 you no, have no, the no, players. They do not have the players at the same level as Antoine Griezmann and and uh, Nago- N'Golo Kante and Paul Pogba. Come on, man! Don't mean that. Come on, man. Armand, I have to say that that's you have a bad take here because even if the the potential of these players are maxed out, there's still too many holes in this squad, and I don't know if they can come the together. Where are the holes? The holes? There are holes everywhere. We don't even know our center back pairing. one world-class player in the pool right now, and that's Christian Pulisic. That's it. If you are going to sit here and tell me that any other player player outside of Christian Pulisic can develop and become one of the best players at his position in the world. Why can't they? You really think Tyler Adams has become one of the best number sixes in the world? He could. (laughs) It's not going to happen. He could. Look, I don't think it's I don't think it's that bizarro of a take the USA with okay, may, maybe I should maybe I should maybe I should clarify before 
You guys decided to go no, berserk. No, you can't walk no. back your take. No, no I'm you... not walking back anything. But with all the facilities, with the infrastructure, with everything in place, they should be a team that competes for World Cup every four years. Uh, look, their facilities, the U.S.'s facilities are the best in the world. I mean, I would say, hey, man. Would you agree? The Cleveland Browns would you agree? Have the best facilities in the NFL, and they can't ever compete for you know a division title, let alone a Super Bowl title. So they don't have the best facilities in the NFL. Well, that's a different point. Uh, but, <laughs> come on, but the, dude, come on, man. If a team like freaking Iran can compete against Spain and Portugal. You don't think the U.S. can? No, look, they can compete, but I don't think they're going to get anywhere. I don't think they have the – A, they don't have the drive. I haven't seen it in the last four years. Honestly, I haven't seen anything in the last four years that said this U.S. squad, the next round of players, are going to be driven to go forward. Ber- Greg Burhalter has the weight – of the last four years and failure on his shoulders. Unfairly, to to be fair, but he has all this weight on his shoulders. I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. And I don't know if these players are up for it. I have not seen one of the, some of these players be wa- wanting to put on that U.S. men's jersey and being, I'm proud for it. Christian Pulisic, at the, when he, they failed against Trinidad Tobago, like you saw it, but... Other than that, I don't know. Armand, yes, U.S. should compete for the World Cup, yes. But in reality, I don't think they're there. I think they should just, first, let's just get a squad ready and being able to be something that we're proud of. Then we can see and gauge where we are. Because here's the thing. U.S. soccer has a mountain to climb when it comes to catching up. And you don't think the Euro League Nations Cup thing over there in Europe that, that, that's putting U.S. further behind because that's helping squads left and right. Europe is only going to become more increasingly competitive across the board. Look at England and how young they are. Switzerland, they got to the, the Final Four, and that, that was a surprise. You saw Belgium in that group. I mean, Iceland in, in, the, in the Euros and the World Cup, they might be done. But you're going to start to see all these young and small countries like a Kosovo make some noise in the next 15 years. Can the U.S. do that? And they're stuck in CONCACAF. I think they can. And I think I think one of the things is you, you raise up a good point is that CONCACAF should have a nation. I think they have a Nations League as well. Something like I don't it. Know. There's something. Something like it. Where they're, forcing play, where they're forcing teams to play to help them rise up as a whole. Look, guys, like I know it might sound a little insane, but. You have, but with the facilities, with the infrastructures, with the influx of players leaving to go compete with the best, there's something that we're not seeing that they are. I, I just, I just think they, they, they can compete. All right, and um, we gotta go, we gotta that, move it on. That's, 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 that's how I'm gonna end it. All right, that was a way hotter of a take than you opened the show with. I'm, I'm fired up. Why didn't you start the show with that? I'm fired <laughs> up right now. I, I could go. I, I could do another, another fifteen. I could do another I fifteen minutes do. on this. Let's do it. No, we're gonna, we're gonna do, we're doing the counter attack. Fast paced, shifty movement, brilliant skill. Yeah. It's the counter attack with Jake Watroba. What to do, nephews? It's the counterattack, final one of 2018 here on Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Got a plethora of topics to talk about uh, with you two. Uh, so let's dive right in. Topic up for debate. Or not even debate, really. Let's talk about our uh, our MLS uh, predictions from the beginning of the year. Do we have to? Mm. 
Ooh, ooh. Mm. All right. Let me let me first let me give my boy Armand a little kudos for mm. nailing. Uh, not not only did he nail the Western Conference champion, not only did he nail the Eastern Conference champion, but he also nailed the MLS Cup champion. Your Atlanta United FC. So let's just give a, a hand clap to uh, Armand for uh for you know for for nailing that prediction. However, uh, let's let's look at uh, Steven here. <laughs> How about we skip for the sake of time? It's okay. I don't think the listeners need to know this. No, they need to know. They need to know. Uh, let's talk about Full Steven's uh, MVP. Let's talk about Steven's MVP, Nicholas Ladero. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Uh, Steven also had Toronto. I did too, by the way. So, you know, I'm not free of any criticism here. I uh, had Toronto winning the Eastern Conference. And Steven had... Toronto also winning MLS Cup, as did I, and he also had LAFC as his biggest disappointment. I did disappointed so, in the playoffs. Yeah, true. Hey, so, they made the playoffs. So yeah, uh, let me let me be the let me let me toot my own horn here. I did have Chicago as the biggest disappointment in MLS this year. I'm not sure they were, but they did miss the playoffs. So uh, <laughs> there it is. There's, there's your predictions. I'm not really sure if you guys really need to debate this or not. I think maybe we should throw tomatoes at Steven for... Yeah, throw... Ooh, ooh, I'm getting pelted here with tomatoes. All right, we're moving on. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's... By the way, Armand and Armand and I had Toronto winning the Sporter Shield, so... No one needs to know that. No one, no one needs to know that. All right, moving on here. Favorite forum... Reddit. Oh yes. You love Reddit. Armand loves Reddit. I Armand. love Reddit, honestly. I'm a huge I love the MLS Reddit. I love I'm the not, Reddit. I'm not even sure how to really uh how to really introduce this topic. But on Reddit, a, a one Reddit user posted a what, a question, a topic of who was the worst ran franchise in MLS. Can you two give me your thoughts or opinions on the worst franchise in MLS today. We'll start with Armand. In terms of what they have, facilities and potential, Orlando City. That that that, that was a dumpster fire last year. I was not expecting that. Um big season, Steven. I thought take season. It's still the Columbus Crew. <laughs> uh the Columbus Crew. Whoa. You can't help yourself. You just hate Columbus. No, no, it's true, though. I mean, this, we're going to leave. We're not going to leave. The fans in between, not going to show up for their game after the team's been saved. Blah, blah, blah. It's just comp. What what is going on? Once the new ownership comes in, new stadium's built, that'll change. But, yeah, this... This is such a hot take, by the way. This is this is a very hot take, Steven. Why yeah, this is like should have, yeah. you should have. This is higher than Christian Pulisic is overrated. You should have opened the show with this. Well, no, 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 no. Christian Pulisic is not overrated. He's just he's just not oh, worth what not, he is. What are we doing in the show? Everyone's walking back their takes now. All of a sudden, <laughs> what's going on? Okay, fine. Whoa, Christian whoa, Pulisic whoa, whoa. is overrated. Okay, well, I agree with Armand. It is Orlando City. Um, just with how much they just they're terrible when you when you go and break minnesota united's goals allowed record a year uh, a year later um 
I think that right there. And no one was talking about that. That's the funny no. thing. Like, I, Minnesota United got dra- was was dragged to the ground for like how awful they were. And then yeah, Orlando and no one... does the same thing, and everyone's just like not batting an eye because they were so awful <laughs> under 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 James O'Connor. Like, like come on, yeah. man! You got a brand new stadium, great fans, a, a a decent roster. They they shouldn't be that bad. No, they shouldn't be that bad. Yeah, but wait, 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 wait. But, but as far as ownership, pre-court, Columbus Crew still takes the cake. Worst oh, ran franchise starts from the man at the top. Well, he's not going to be their owner anymore. So, Well, this past season they were. They made the playoffs, though. All right, we're moving on. Moving on. <laughs> you can't defend your bad take? <laughs> no, my bad take is not a bad take. It's a good take. I mean, it, it, uh, yeah. Uh, yikes. You didn't say Colorado? No, I was never. No, move on, Jake. What's the next topic? <laughs> All right, let's talk about Darren Eels of uh, Atlanta United. Uh, Darren Eels was recently uh, interviewed uh, or quoted as saying that uh, unless it's something that is a really serious offer, we will not consider it. The offer has to start with a three for me to consider it. Uh, that is in regards to. Miguel Almiron, fellas. Sounds like Almiron has a price tag of upwards of $30 million. Is that that's, too steep? No, that's perfect. You, that's... I, think you mis- I think you misinterpreted the quote. I mean, if I'm FC Dallas, I'm submitting an offer of $3 immediately. Because, <laughs> I mean, it starts with three, right? Like, what, what's Eels going to do? Like, lie? Yeah, $3.02. No? Yeah. Who, who does that? Colorado? I don't know. I, I I don't think it's that steep. I, I honestly, for Almiron's potential, I think it's a little too high. You really? Know, I think, you don't think? I think, I think twenty. I think a little bit under, maybe twenty-five, is more realistic. I just it, it's tough for me to gauge where where like how good he will be in a league outside of MLS at the moment right now. This is good negotiation tactic. Yeah, he's just he, he he's a vet, man. He he did this with the, he did this with Spurs. Now he's doing it here. This is this is what MLS needs a savvy executive and he's perfect for Atlanta. Yeah, this is perfect because you need Newcastle to sit there and be like, okay, fine. 19 was the number earlier a couple weeks ago. And I was like, oh, that's so low. 30 would be a shock. But if they can get up anything above, I think 23, 24, I think will be looked upon as as a good number for Almiron. The only thing unspursy about Darren Eels is the fact that he works for a club that wins trophies. <laughs> Ouch. Let's move uh, on. Uh, let's let's move on here. Let's talk about America's team. Who the Patriots? Who Liverpool? No, the Mexican national team. <laughs> oh. Who, oh. Whose average attendance is fifty nine percent greater than the U.S. men's national team in twenty eighteen. Guys, what the hell is going on? Why is Mexico drawing more than the U.S. on U.S. soil? Because they pick locations where they attract fans uh i'll tell you why because their fans actually care about soccer they care genuinely about soccer and their team looks really good that too no doubt i mean look okay when you play at you know places like dallas of course you're going to draw a huge number i i just don't think the interest like i think it also has to do the fact that you're going to see your nation in another country. It, it just means a little bit more. You know? Like, think about when Costa Rica traveled. 
all the Costa Ricans that went up to Red Bull Arena. There's there's something about going to see your national team play in enemy territory that just brings out more to you. And I think the the Mexicans have it right here, and that and it means something to them. And the U.S. Yeah, there's some passionate fans, but it's not that big of a deal. Never has been. Also, there's something to look forward to with the World Cup and, you know, yeah. the the tune-up matches. I mean, all you had to look for is Dave Sarakan messing things up. So, <laughs> And uh, a bunch of talent that's not real talent, right? Yep. 100, 100. Okay, let's move on. Final topic for the day here on the counterattack. Not sure if you guys heard, but CONCACAF has said that Ottawa Fury FC must switch from USL to the Canadian Premier League. First of all, one, what is your what is your what are your views on that? And second of all, how does this affect Montreal, Vancouver, and Toronto in MLS? Steven, let's start with you this time. Oh great. It's the one topic I know nothing about. I don't know. The when I first reacted, I was like, well that's odd. You got three clubs in Canada playing for MLS. How's this going to look? And and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Jake, but the Fury, the Ottawa Fury, have played in USL before. So it's not unprecedented that they have played in this league. So is there a double standard going on here? Some say yes, some say no. I don't know. I don't know what the laws are. I know FIFA has very strict guidelines on federation and you know boundaries and where you can play your games. That's why Miami was never going to happen for Barcelona and whoever they were going to play. I forget now. So uh, I, uh, yeah, Girona or something. Yeah, Girona. So yeah. this, pay attention to this because once the Canadian Premier League starts, FIFA and a lot of lawyers are going to have a huge discussion on whether or not Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver should be playing in MLS. Just, just saying. Yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting precedent because when the C when the CPL gets better, what's going to happen? Will 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 uh, Concaf be like, yo, you got to play here now instead of MLS? I mean, who knows? But and, and I mean, this MLS is from Concacaf that's saying too. this. Sorry, Armand. MLS this is, also has more power too. Yeah. This is Concacaf is saying. So once FIFA gets involved, there's going to be a lot more say and a lot more weight to the words that comes out of that you know body. What about you, Jake? What do you think? Uh, yeah, that's, hmm. All they right. should play in the Canadian Premier League. All, all four of them, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver. That's the top. Is that, is that D1? Is that what, is that what it is in Canada? The Canadian Premier League? I would imagine if you're starting a, a new league in a country that doesn't have a soccer league, it's going to be automatically division one, correct? That's going to be the top flight. They, they, they didn't start the Canadian Premier League to be the second or third division in Canada, correct? I would say so. So, uh, I, for me looking at it, yeah. I think uh, Ottawa should play in the Canadian Premier League, and I think that Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver should as well. So, there's my there's my take on this. And you can send your hate mail to at Jake Watroba. I don't <laughs> care. I won't. I'll read it, and I won't respond. <laughs> All right. Is that is that is that it? That's it. We're done. Counterattack's over. We scored. We scored in the counterattack. We did. It's over. We that's did. It. That's, it. that's it for 2018. We'll come back next year. Fellas, as, as we close the show, most memorable guest moment of 2018 on the show. Can I start? Yeah. 
Make Adding it quick. Adding our boy Jake on the show. Yeah. Ooh, that's, that's yeah. My man, you know how to get right. You know the fastest way to my heart. Uh, <laughs> I think the I know your fat the fastest way to your heart, and I can't say it on on the mic. Oh. Oh yeah, I do too. So, <laughs> is, it, is it food or is it booze? Uh, yeah, we can say it. yeah, something like that. Okay. Uh, my what was the question again? Favorite moment guests we've had on the show. Speaking of booze, um, <laughs> favorite moment guest for me was Alexi Lawless. I think that was the one of the few times, minus like the the Rob Stone interview, which was like my very first appearance. So I was kind of nervous for that. <laughs> I think the Alexi Lawless interview was the first time I fangirled or fanboyed out during uh, during an interview. I could not believe I was talking to Alexi Lawless. Um, about soccer, so that for me was uh, was my was my favorite moment of 2018. Do I need to get you some uh, lotion there, Jake? Talking about Lexi Lawless. Wow, this is a PG podcast, bro. You can't be saying stuff like that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, uh, my favorite moment has been just the the daily grind with you two fellas. It's been fun. Can't believe we've. Witness well, shut up a no, lot. In Tell US us, soccer. give us your real favorite memory. No, it, it's just been it's just been a lot of fun doing the show. <laughs> it is. So I'm the only person that says like something not us related is my favorite memory because I hate you two. So <laughs> I hate you too. So well, we're looking for replacements. <laughs> so yeah, for for Steven, <laughs> for every single one of us, somebody else could take over the show. We'll be the new fanboys. All right, listeners, we'll be back in the new year with great content. Great interviews, great guests. As always, Uncle Sam Soccer Pod at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod on Twitter, at the Gram, Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast, at Jake Wittrelber for all the hate mail, at Armand Cub Fi. Go give him a congratulations for his first hot take. It's only taken him a year and a half. And at Steven Jodderand. Ha ha ha. Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas. Get a credit card that gives you what you need now a low interest rate on everyday purchases, and a place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFit Gold Contactless Card is our lowest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed, and together we can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit penfed.org slash gold card. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. Let's say you make it to the top. What's next? Relish in the glory of your accomplishments? Okay, sure, for a minute. But then you move forward. Take the 2021 Escalade. Cadillac's newest arrival is more than just a celebration of iconic luxury. It's the most technologically advanced Escalade ever. Because arriving is just the beginning. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.